Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Molly and Lisa about cognitive challenges after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health rehabilitation in the Midwest. They have greatly helped me and many others. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hi, everyone. I am Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. For those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I very recently released my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury. You can learn more about me and the podcast series at facesoftbi.com. Today, my guests, I have two guests today. We have Lisa Rocks and Molly Brightville. And Lisa is a certified speech language pathologist who has been practicing for over eight years. And her experience is in a variety of settings, including primarily acute care and acute rehab. She recently has been in the school and early intervention settings, working with children three to five years of age. She has worked with both adults and children in the areas of swallowing and language needs. Her specialty is brain injury with a focus on cognition. Molly is a certified speech-language pathologist working primarily in the acute inpatient rehab setting at Good Shepherd Penn Partners with six years' experience. She is a certified brain injury specialist providing evaluation and treatment for speech, language, cognition, and swallowing goals in the adult population. So, all right, ladies, I'm bringing you back in here. I got to click both of you on. There we go. Welcome to the podcast, ladies. Thanks, Amy, for having us. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Yeah, this is so exciting. So I met you ladies at the Mind Your Brain conference um, at Penn Medicine in Philadelphia this past March. And Mm -hmm. funny story, you guys might not even know this. Um, I had actually gotten stuck in the elevator. I was on my way up to go hear Kyla Pierce uh, talk about yoga and meditation, and the elevator got mm-hmm. stuck with 13 people in it. Oh, <laughs> like my worst nightmare. But like two <laughs> had brain injuries. And so that was super oh. fun. So it was about 20 minutes. Oh they God. got us out, and I was not getting back on that elevator. So I went back into the auditorium, and that is how I heard you ladies. So I feel it was a little bit serendipitous that it was meant to happen, because otherwise I would have never yeah. heard your guys' talk. So here we are. Oh, well, wow. we're glad you did. <laughs> I know. Wow. That is fate for sure. <laughs> so I would love to hear how each of you, let's maybe start with Lisa, how you came to, to, to want to work specifically with brain injury patients? 
Um, for me, it was um, it was kind of a journey a little bit. I um, I started out really wanting to work with children primarily, um, but when I was younger, my grandfather actually suffered from a stroke, um, and I saw all of you know what he had experienced and all of what speech therapy was able to do for him, and this was something that I really was unfamiliar with until I actually went through it. Um, so then, as I was going through my schooling, you know, I did. Um, really increase an in interest to primarily work with adults. And that's what was really important to me coming out of school was to get into a medical setting and to get um, involved with people with strokes or brain injury. Um, and I was fortunate enough to work in an acute care hospital first. And then from there um, I worked at the rehab with Molly and um, we both kind of got onto the brain injury floor. It was kind of, I don't know how that really happened. That really just kind of happened. Um, I think by chance that I kind of got onto the brain injury specific floor um, and I just fell in love with it. I love the work that we do. Um, and I just, I love working with the patients and their families. Um, I agree with Lisa. I think that it is by far one of the best positions that I've had. So I also was interested initially in children. And then as I finished my graduate program, I just fell in love working on a brain injury unit with adults. So in coming out of school, I was fortunate enough to land a job here at Good Shepherd Pen Partners. Um, I started on the brain injury unit and has have been all over the building. But like Lisa said, <laughs> Working with these adults and their families, you know, from one room to the next, everyone is different with their own challenges, but you really get to know them and you feel like you're making, you know, a difference in re getting them back to the level they want to be at prior to their injury. That's so great. And, mm -hmm. you know, thank you both for, you know, just healthcare providers have such an impact <laughs> on recovery. And it's you don't have a good one. You don't have one that cares. You don't have one that understands it. Um, it's going to have such a an Im negative impact on your recovery. So thank you both yeah, so yeah. much for you're you know, welcome. I so also passionate think that, like, about it. Oh, thank you. I think that yeah, thank speech you. therapy always gets a misnomer too. Like yeah, I'm sure Lisa, yes. you could agree. Nobody knows yes, what we Molly. do when we walk exactly. into a room. And as we kind of said during our talk, we have so many hats, like the cognitive aspects, you know, getting back to eating and drinking, the language. Um, so we are really beneficial in how much we can help here in this right. setting. Right. Yeah. Good to well, note on that, Molly, because a lot of times people really, again, when we walk in and say we're from speech therapy, but they're talking, a lot of times people are like, that's not what I need. And I said, mm -hmm. oh, but maybe you do. <laughs> maybe you do. Um, <laughs> so I know a couple areas that we definitely want to talk about today is talking about types of memory and how memory works and types of mm -hmm. attention and how attention works. And the reason I kind of wanted to hone in on those two is because memory and attention are the two biggest, I mean, they were huge for me in those first 18 months. Like I felt like my mm -hmm. short-term memory was non-existent and I felt mm -hmm. like I was constantly like squirrel, you know, I couldn't pay attention to anything. Right. And when I had my neuropsych exam, she basically told me I was probably faking it because I scored worse than a dementia patient. Mm. And it's, so incredibly frustrating now that I know what I know and to have been told that and to just not get any help. I mean, I was begging 
for services. Like I would have loved to have found you guys at that point, my recovery. <sighs> right. And she wanted right. to put me on Ritalin, Ritalin and oh. antidepressants. And I think you guys are going to oh understand where I'm going with this. Um, it's not, we don't have all of a sudden, we don't just develop ADD. It's because our right. cognitive speeds have just, you know, it's like if you dropped your hard drive or your your laptop and all of a sudden it doesn't work the same, right? Exactly. Or you build up awesome. off memory so it can't process awesome analogy. that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, Lisa, why don't we talk first about the memory and how memory kind of works? So I think it's important to realize when we're talking about memory that there's different types of memory. Um, And a lot of times, you know, when we're first meeting people, you know, um, especially when they're brand new post having the brain injury, um, you know, we're going to get to know them and we're going to see what are their areas of breakdown. Um, You know, just to kind of keep it simple, different types of memory include, you know, your procedural memory. So that's like your ability to kind of just know how to do something, you know, Sometimes people will be really frustrated because they'll be like, I remember how to do this, but why can't I remember what I ate for dinner last night? Um, You know, but that's also using two different types of memory in your brain. Um, Another type of memory is your semantic memory. So this is kind of like your, your knowledge of facts. So, you know, your ability to kind of, you know, know where you went to high school, the name of your high school, you know, that's different than being able to remember, you know, what you wore yesterday or, you know, what you were, you know, remembering when you're going to have your next doctor's appointment. Um, The semantic memory is kind of that knowledge of facts and things that kind of just stick with you. Like for me, I really have a good time remembering people's birthdays. Don't ask me why. That is something that is like a strength of mine. If somebody tells me their birthday, I will remember that. And that goes like in the, you know, in the vault. But if somebody were to ask me, um, you know, well, wait, when did you have that appointment again? Or, you know, what, what are you, what were you guys thinking of doing, you know, for, for somebody's birthday, whatever, I might not remember, but I could tell you when their birthday is for whatever reason, that's just a strength of mine. You know, then other types of memory include, you know, information about yourself. You know, you remember, um, facts about you and your family, Um, that's your autobiographical information. So a lot of times when we're meeting people in the hospital and I might say to them, okay, well, tell me where you live. Um, Tell me um, the name of, you know, your spouse. How long have you guys been married? Um, What are the names of your children? Sometimes depending on, you know, how um, detailed I get with questions, there could be a breakdown. And um, again, that's, that would be a breakdown in their autobiographical information, which is something that's very common, especially immediately post-onset of the brain injury. Two other types of memory are going to be your episodic memory. Episodic is, again, it's that memory I was talking about for events. So like, you know, remembering things that have happened. So, so many times when we meet people again in that acute rehab setting, um, you know, they might not remember what happened to them. They might not remember the event, but they could maybe remember some things that happened, you know, a few days prior to the event, but they don't necessarily remember the event itself. Um, And again, that's due to maybe uh, some deficit in their episodic memory. But episodic memory also isn't just the memory of events that have happened, but also events that are going to happen. So also think about, you know, the breakdown that people might have when they're trying to remember when they have a doctor's appointment or, you know, when they have somewhere to be, what time they have to be there. 
Again, that's part of their episodic memory. And then working memory, this is, I think, you know, this is something that we all use every day, all day long, but you don't realize that you use it. This is, you know, your ability to kind of take in information, so take in all of the information that I'm saying right now, and then to hold on to it, you know, maintain it, and then later be able to kind of pick it out when you need to use it. So, you know, think about like if somebody were to tell you their phone number. This day and age, a lot of times we don't really exchange phone numbers, but um, if somebody were to tell you their phone number, you know, if you were to repeat it and then maybe, you know, repeat it again, try to get it in your vault, and then later when you wanted to dial the phone, what you just did was use your working memory, um, that ability to kind of take in the information, hold on to it, but then pick it out when you need to use it again later. So, what do you think, Amy? Was that a lot in one in one uh, response? <laughs> it is a little bit, and I'm going to pick it down a little bit. That's okay. It's good yeah, stuff. that's fine. You know, yeah. we have the we have the basis. Um, so, you know, one thing I hear people complain all the time is that their spouse yeah. or their loved one or their friends are like, you know, they get frustrated when we can't remember things. And I get it. Mm-hmm. I, right. I mean, it's frustrating to us. I mean, if you mm-hmm. think you're frustrated, imagine it's like 10 times worse for us. And right. it's inside our head. Like, we can't, we can't just, like, fix it. You know, you just can't, like, get a Band-Aid or take an aspirin. And, mm-hmm. you know, I hear comments like, oh, my God, try harder. You're not trying hard enough. You need to try harder to remember. And it's like, that's right. not really how it works and right. you know you know is there anything you can I, I'm sure you hear this working with patients too oh gosh all the yeah. time so, all the time so how, how right. do you address that so there's a few things first we want to know where's the breakdown like what aren't they remembering are they not remembering you know when they have an appointment coming up are they not remembering to set the table for dinner um, are they not remembering to Um, answer the door when they hear the doorbell, um, or are they not remembering where they live? Are they not remembering the names of their grandchildren? Um, Because, again, like I said, those are two different types of memories um, that, you know, they would be having difficulty with, in which case, you know, determining what type of memory they're having the breakdown in, that would then help us to maybe better cater what kind of strategy we might want to use for them. Um, so maybe a specific example. Do you do you have an example yourself, Amy, of anything that maybe you had a hard time with remembering? Oh my gosh, <laughs> everything. <laughs> I you know everything. when I look back, I don't know how I even managed. I mean, it was like, yeah. you know, my short term memory was gone. I mean, I could literally get up, walk. So my office was one door, and then the laundry and the bathroom. I would get up to go to the bathroom and be like, oh, that's right, I need to rotate my laundry. And then I'd go back to my office after I went to the bathroom. And, I mean, I could do that ten times all day long. And the average person, would, you might walk by once, right, and forget to rotate the laundry, but the average person is going to be like, oh, that's right, I had laundry. Well, me, it was just right. gone, like gone, 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 like whole gone. And another right. example is I would be driving, and all of a sudden I would just have this, like, where am I? I'm lost. I don't know where I am. Why am I on this road? What road mm-hmm. am I on? Um, mm-hmm. And then I pull over, pull up my GPS, and I was on the right road. You know, like it just all of a sudden didn't seem right. familiar. Um, right. And right. And like I could set reminders. At, like I'd have an appointment in 15 minutes, 
And I'd have mm-hmm, to spend mm-hmm. that like a half hour, a 15, a 10, and a five minute. Because, I mean, just that fast, it would be gone out of my head. Right. Right. I think Molly will probably agree with me when I say that some of the things you described wouldn't just necessarily be breakdowns in memory, but also breakdown with the attention. Because, again, the attention is Mm -hmm. the foundation. If your attention starts to become faulty in any way, how are you going to remember where you were going or what you were doing or what you were about to do? If you lose that attention, again, how are you going to be able to take in information and hold on to it? Um, I don't know, Molly, do you want to speak into that a little bit? I would agree. I feel like you're reading my mind there, Lisa. (laughs) I think how we practice it is you need that attention first in order to remember anything. Um, And just like memory, we have a lot of areas of attention. Um, You know, obviously everyone knows concentration, kind of like you were saying earlier, people think, you know, you're not concentrating, so medicine might help you, but... Yeah. kind of how your brain is wiring right. to work. And then um, your example, Amy, of walking from your office to the laundry, you know, you're trying to do more than one thing at a time True. or go back mm-hmm. and forth. Right. Um, so those reminders that you're setting for yourself, yes, that's a good idea, but you really got to kind of um, delve into that ability to go back and forth between something Versus just concentrating on your remembering right. to do it. Right. right. Like multitasking. And gone. Yeah. Right. Multitasking right. wasn't even an option. But I, I, mm-hmm. I totally see what you're saying. Like there's so many things we do in a day that we are multitasking that we don't even think we're multitasking because we're just so exactly. used to doing it. So it's like your that, routine. That's the first time you've ever connected those two dots for me with how the – the memory and the cognitive processing are so interrelated. Mm-hmm. Right. Good. And that's something too, Amy, just to kind of think about too, you know, when we talk about a lot of the strategies and a lot of the um, just different ways of handling maybe, you know, the breakdowns, what people are going through. It's not like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a catch all, you know, it's not like a, an easy fix kind of thing that, you know, we recommend to people when we're working with individuals and their families, it's always that individual case that we're trying to say, okay, what is your breakdown? Where is the breakdown? What's going to work for you? Because sometimes what somebody experiences might not necessarily be the same thing somebody else experiences the exact same way, and it might not. So then you can't necessarily say that one thing is going to work for everybody. Even if you both have memory difficulties, you know, you're not going to necessarily benefit from the same strategies. Does that make sense? Yes. And, you know, I get asked frequently. So I, I, who, who finally was able to help me was my functional neurologist. And it was found that my eyes weren't working together. And because my eyes weren't working together, my body didn't know where it was. Like your brain just doesn't have an opportunity to ever shut off and, you know, work on the, on the memory and the cognition. But people are constantly asking what exercises do you do with you? And I want to tell them because I'm like, they're specific to me and what's wrong with me. Like, you right. might do the same exercise and not actually work, right? Like, there's no catch-all, you know, uh, you know, people want this cookie-cutter routine that will yeah. just kind of fix exactly. everybody. And it just doesn't right. exist because, nope. right. you know, 
and, and, and I get it that that's where brain injury is so incredibly challenging because, and, and right. what you're saying, you do, you have to dig in and pinpoint what it is, right. like what, like you just did with me, actually, it's not your memory, Amy, it was your cognitive processing. Oh, okay. You know, which comes first, right? right? The chicken or the egg? Um, right. So that's super, that's super cool to hear how, and that's like, you know, you guys are able to dig in like that. That's kind of what Molly and I opened with in our talk at the conference was kind of about like, if you think about it, no two people are the same. Therefore, no two brains are the same. So then no two brain injuries could possibly be the same. So that's kind of where you then fall into that, you know, that response of, you know, well, what can we do to fix it? How long is it going to take to be fixed? You know, and it's kind of like, we wish we would have these answers, but there's just not this textbook cookie cutter response that we can provide, you know? Um, So. Uh, So Molly, did we go through um, what you wanted to talk about with the, with the cognitive or attention Um, regarding attention? attention? I mean, we kind of touched base again. Attention is that foundation. So in order for the different areas of your thinking, like your memory or problem solving, to, um, you know, help you the most, you have to be attentive. And there's different ways of, you know, not just concentrating, but going back between multiple things at a time, that multitasking, or paying attention mm-hmm. when there's distractions in the background, which I think for mm-hmm. everybody is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of like as Lisa was saying, fortunately there's not one strategy that works for everybody, but mm-hmm. the beauty of working with patients, you know, at Penn Rehab and the Brain Injury Program is that we get to know them, and treatment mm-hmm. is so mm-hmm. individualized that we really get to, you know, pinpoint how can we help you best. Mm-hmm. And, Amy, I just want to touch base, if that's okay, on something that you brought up, because I think this is something really important to say, is that you said what comes first. You said kind of like, okay, is it like my attention yeah. or was it like that I'm not remembering? Like, you know, that's that's all huge, you know. Like the first – it's kind of hard to say, you know, Molly said the attention is the foundation, and that's true. But, like, the other part of it to really consider is is the level of awareness that the person who's experiencing these difficulties has. Um, and a lot of times I feel like Molly and I, I think Molly can speak to this as well, is that we, when we're working especially with patients and their families, you know, a lot of frustration that might lie with the family is that, Um, maybe the person who's experiencing these memory difficulties or, you know, know. isn't paying attention has like no awareness that they're, they're even doing it, you know? So then what do you do in that situation? You know, um, there's kind of like this level of awareness that has to be raised to, you know, determine strategies, but then also really make substantial progress. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. I feel like that's what you said when when you're talking, Amy, to like, you know, uh, caregivers and not just survivors about how they get like the caregiver is frustrated. But it's right. that love. Um, it's like that education piece that we also provide about, you know, why is this mm-hmm. happening? Like, what mm-hmm. is it about their brain that you know is causing them trouble? not mm-hmm. only for the person that experienced the injury to be aware of, but also the family. So, yes, awareness mm-hmm. and recognition of what's going on is really important. Mm-hmm. 
Do do you guys have any? Um, I know this is a big question, but um, <laughs> do you have any thoughts on like simple? simple <laughs> coping mechanisms like you know for me I, was, I I had to have post-it notes I had to have lists everywhere but then like if they got covered up I would forget I even had a list I mean it seems so mm-hmm. stupid but that was my reality um mm-hmm. you know are there any like um things that you recommend like as a pretty basic uh coping mechanism for people um, just to clarify, when you say coping mechanism, do you mean like strategy right. if you are having difficulty? Yes. Or yes. Okay. Right. Um, compensate for what's not working. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So if we, ahead, I was going to say, if we start with like attention, um, obviously if you know that you don't have the best concentration, you're not going to want the TV on or music on. Try right. to take out those distractions mm-hmm. to begin with. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that example of, you know, leaving your office to do the laundry, I would Mm -hmm. finish the work in your office before you go to the laundry because you're not going to be able to go do the same thing, do both of those at once. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are some just basic strategies that I think we all utilize or could utilize. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then just mm-hmm. like some other general ones, we talk about sleep a lot here at rehab, mm-hmm. how like a normal sleep pattern is really important. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. if you have loved ones or caregivers, you know, having them give you prompts or reminders, the same ones um, to keep it consistent, what you're doing really helps too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then to kind of just go off of what Molly's saying in terms of just like com- compensatory strategies for memory, I mean, we could really, the sky is the limit, to be honest, because the fact of the matter is, is like what Molly said, is that everything is individualized. So it really just depends on when we're working with, with the survivor and their families, you know, what's going to work for them is kind of what we're going to do. So, um, but just to kind of be generally speaking, you know, depending on where somebody's breakdown is in memory, you know, I'll just touch on some things that are, I feel most common. So a lot of times, you know, we might have people who have, you know, poor memory of just their autobiographical information. They just don't really remember things like their address, their phone number, um, the names of their grandchildren, you know, and I know that that's, that's something that's really challenging. That's really tough for people. Um, and as simple as this sounds, you know, you can be as creative as you want with this, but one of the strategies we love to do in the rehab is, you know, some type of memory book or memory wallet. Um, we've even made a memory necklace, right, Mal? You know, where mm-hmm, we kind of I put did. <laughs> information, information on, you know, something for somebody to wear each day because she wasn't always remembering to take her book. Um, so again, like if that's where somebody's breakdown is, that's, that's, you know, kind of like a go-to strategy that we sometimes go with. And then, you know, if somebody's also having breakdown with like, like what I described earlier about the episodic memory, like your ability to remember events, both events in the past and then events coming up, you know, um, what might work for some person might not work for the next, but a very go-to example is maybe an agenda, Um, you know, you have things written down on a calendar so that you know what to expect. And if you also want to remember what you did that day, you could also have something like a journal um, where you write down information about the day. Even if you just keep it really simple, um, that's just a great way to remember the events, you know, both past and present. And then, you know, Amy, you touched upon like some really great strategies that, you know, sometimes, 
you know, we try in the rehab as well, but depending on somebody's attention might not work. So like post-it notes, sometimes we kind of joke and say like, yeah, phone reminders. Like if somebody's attention is really off, you know, those aren't the best strategies because they might get distracted by all the notes or, you know, if there's multiple alarms going off, like, wait, what's this one for? Um, So again, we would just try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, Again, it just depends on that person's attention, but really if somebody is, you know, really just having a hard time remembering like, okay, I, I can't forget to take my lunch today, you know, so I'm going to write lunch on a post-it and I'm going to put that on the door, you know, that could work for somebody and that that's, you know, another good strategy. A lot of visual strategies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I did, you know, the whole post-it note, like I would put my shopping list in my purse because otherwise I'd leave without it. But then I had to put mm-hmm. a note on my purse that said, go to the grocery store. Because otherwise I would like leave yeah. the house and like end up at Target or something and not get groceries. Yeah. <laughs> right. Amy, who so did good, you kind though. of come up with those strategies yourself? I mean, this is impressive, some of the things you're talking about. Like, did you come up with some of them on your own? Yeah. You have no choice. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to ask me? Say it again. Someone started a question. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, did you come up with those strategies on your own? Oh, yeah. I thought there was another one, too. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I said it was impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was impressive, you know, again, because sometimes, you know, a lot, you know, when we're working with people, you know, when you have these breakdowns, a lot of times it's just so discouraging and people are kind of just like, I'm just not even going to, I'm just not even going to do it, you know, and uh, right. And that's, um you know, that's like the last thing we want to hear, you know, we always kind of try to remind people that, you know, you still have, you know, things to do, you still have your life to live, you might be doing things differently than you did before, but you're still going to do them. That's, that's the goal. We want you to be able to do what you want to do. And if it's what you were doing before, then that's what we're going to try and get you back to doing. Um, No matter what it takes. (laughs) Mm So what advice do you have for, so someone like me, I, you know, you both work in an acute setting, um, but someone like me who goes to their doctor told they're having told, they're told that they have a concussion and they should feel better in a few weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you're not better. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I begged and begged and begged for help. I begged, but I didn't know what to ask for. I, you know, and that shouldn't matter. I feel like the doctors should have understood what I needed. Um, But, so someone listening who's been struggling, how can they get to someone like you? What what would be the process they would need to do? Good question. Um, yeah. So I feel like a lot of the resources out there, you know, um, even like the Brain Injury of America website, um, there's support groups, but then like regarding therapy or Mm-hmm. you know, wanting intervention. Um, unfortunately, as much as we would like to help everybody, we only do so from inside a hospital perspective. But mm-hmm. there are, mm-hmm. um, you know, outpatient right. uh, facilities or clinics, um, speech therapy, but there's also like neuropsychologists. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you said you went to one. I think you might have been that, that was the one that gave you the <laughs> assessment. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. But they're not so, all bad. I mean, they're not. And I've met some amazing ones since, but I just, I happen to have a horrible experience. 
And I, yeah, you know, I know. and they gave you I didn't know any different, it. you know, like, mm-hmm. right. Okay. This is what she said, I guess. Okay. Whatever. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's I mean, also, I think, go ahead, Molly. I was going to say no, the beauty can. of, you know, like what you do in, um, you know, kind of advocating. There are people out there that don't know and don't have anybody yeah. to advocate for them that this isn't how it needs to be, you know, so you can do something about it. So the mm-hmm. more advocacy that is put out there for brain injury, um, mm-hmm. I think really helps educate everybody. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's, and that's, that's I do what I more, do. Okay. You know, I, Say I, that again, I didn't have. That's why I do what I do. I did not have the resources right. I needed. Or they might have mm-hmm. been there, but I didn't find them. Um, and so that's yeah. why I do what I do, to help other people find those resources sooner. Right. Exactly. Right. I think Molly and I also live in, you know, we're in Philadelphia, which is a very, you know, busy area with lots of different resources. And I know not everybody lives in mm-hmm. such a, you know, mm-hmm. urban area where there might be a lot of resources at their fingertips. So it's kind of like, you know, um, sometimes when people might ask, you know, how do I get to a speech therapist as an outpatient, you know, the first step might be talking to maybe your primary and your primary might be able to write you a script to go and get some type of outpatient evaluation, depending on what happened, you know, if you, if you had a fall and you suffered a concussion. Um, but again, it, it's all probably going to be dependent on, on where you live. Um, yeah. That doesn't necessarily limit you. You could, ne- you could probably have to travel if you need to, but um there's even new things I know now where there's um, cyber therapy going on where people can participate in evaluations, you know, via uh, FaceTime mm-hmm. or their laptop yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Technology is really, I think, going to take us new places. I think that exactly. that's, you know, you can work Definitely. with people from like anywhere, you know. <laughs> um, It'll open so, a new world. It will. Oh, Molly and Lisa, thank you both so much for being here. This has been just a great conversation. Um, And uh, one of you brought up the point of the Brain Injury Association of America. And I encourage anyone, you know, if if you're not sure where to turn, it's BIAUSA.org. They have an 800 number you can call, um, you know, during business hours. And they do. They will try to get back to you and help you find resources in your area. You know, I had no idea I had a Minnesota Brain Injury Alliance. I had no idea oh. that existed, you know. Oh, um, wow. If you don't yeah. even know to look for it, you know, exactly. I mean, right. to find it. And I, I know right. in my first year, I was so, like, out of it that, I mean, I didn't even mm-hmm. tell you where my brain was at, right? Like, it didn't even occur to right. me. Google things. <laughs> so, I mean, right. That's like we take that for granted, right? We do, um, yeah. And thankful so. that those are out there now. Yeah, right. Exactly. Definitely. Well, yeah. thank you, ladies, so much. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for having us. Good. Thank you for having yeah. us again, Amy. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you guys really got some great information from Molly and Lisa. Um, I know. It was just a wonderful conversation, and there's a lot of golden nuggets in there. You might have to go back and listen again as well. So thank you all for listening, and just another thank you to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology, the concussion doctors you can trust in the Midwest. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. And thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey, and I will see you guys all again next time. Have a great day, everyone.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.